Okay, well, we're going to do a, a Father's Day message. We're going to talk to the men tonight. And, and what that means for all you ladies is this might be a first time for you, but you're, you're getting to see what it's like when we have a men's meeting. And so men's conferences and such, it's just a little different than normal church. It's not just all nice and sweet. It's a little bit, it's got a little sting on it sometimes. We slap each other around a little bit because we're men. And so uh, what ordinarily happens at the beginning of a men's meeting is there's some kind of hype moment and it ends up with all the men on their feet going, woo, 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 woo. So the best I can do is just do the woo, woo, woo. So let's just stand. We're going to try this together. Yeah, everybody. Full contact Christianity. We're going to give our best, like, woof, 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 woof. Ladies, this might be your only chance you get to do this. And I don't think they do this at ladies' meetings. And so what, what we tend to do is, you know, we'll do a chant or a cheer or some kind of macho thing. I'm not feeling very creative right now. So we're just going to go straight for the woof, 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 all right? So when I count to three, everybody loud and proud, just like you're a Bulldogs fan. Hallelujah. Give me your best woof, woof, woof. We're going to do it a little bit. We're going to get some energy on this thing. This is a men's meeting. All right, ready? One, two, three. Woo, 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 woo. Jesus! Perfect, perfect. Totally men's meeting. All right, you can sit down. I think every men's meeting I've ever been to, we did something like that. Just giving you, just cracking the door for you women, just so you can just get a little peek, just to see what's going on in there. That's what we do. And uh, so I want to talk to the men tonight. I, I want to I just be honest. I'm speaking out of uh, conviction that's on my own heart. And so I'm calling you guys into uh, the conviction that the Lord's putting on me uh, in this issue of manhood. You know, uh, it, I don't want to just speak to fathers. I want to speak to all the, the men in the room. And uh, this is good for our women too. Now, I will ask all the, all the wives just to like... You know, un, unscrew your elbow and don't, don't be smashing your, your husband in the ribs. Uh, just leave it there. Just don't, don't use it as a weapon tonight. But uh, I'm speaking out of, my own, out of my own convictions right now because I'm, I'm taking uh, inventory on a, a variety of areas. And I'm looking at the standard that the scripture gives us. And I'm recognizing, man, you know, two things. Number one is this. Jesus has brought me so far. I mean, from when I got saved at 15 and, and made him my Lord when I was 17, and, and, and man, who I am today is a completely different person uh, to who I was. I'm so thankful for the grace of God, and he delivered me, he set me free, he's changed me. Uh, but then I look at the standard, Jesus Christ, and I go, oh, dear God, I have such a long way to go. And... Um, and really, that's the issue, is looking at Jesus as the, the one who is the standard for manhood. He is the standard for manhood. He's the standard for fatherhood. And so that's what I want to try to do. I want to just look at Jesus a bit tonight and then call us into conformity to Christ, becoming a man like Jesus was. 
You know, I, I realize that no matter what culture you live in uh, uh, across the nations of the earth, we have all these natural emblems of, of what manhood looks like, you know, and in certain cultures, it's this macho, romantic thing. In other cultures, it's the, you know, like the lumberjack, husky thing. In other places, it's the athlete. And, um, and really, all of those emblems, they, they might speak of maleness, but they don't necessarily speak of manhood. Because in, to the extent that they don't look like Jesus is the extent that they're not God's desired plumb line for manhood. And so we have all these uh, emblems, no matter where you live, where you're from, there's so many emblems of what it means to be a man. But the, the emblem that God has given is his son, Jesus. Jesus is what manhood is about. And so right there in your notes in Roman numeral one, I just say it cleanly. Jesus Christ is the perfect man, perfect in every way, sinless. He was the perfect expression of what God's desire for manhood is supposed to, supposed to be, specifically manhood. I mean, he is, he's the perfect expression of humanity uh, and specifically of what a man is supposed to be. And uh, the theologians like to say it like this, he's the... He's the the perfect expression to God of what a a person is supposed to be, and he's the perfect expression of God to humans of what God is like. Jesus. He is the Father in the flesh. He he is God incarnate. I, I mean, think it through for a minute. Let's think about Jesus. Think about this for a moment. 4,000 plus years of human history from Adam all the way to Christ. You know, when God creates Adam and Eve, he he creates two people whose hearts are beating with pure blood flowing through their veins. Completely pure, completely perfect. But from the time of the fall in the garden all the way to Jesus Christ, There is not a human without sin-stained blood. Every human being, from the time of the fall all the way up to Jesus, our nature is corrupt, stained by sin. Our hearts are pumping sin-stained blood. Now think this through. And then, that little girl, that 16-year-old little girl... She's with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. The sin line of humanity is not passed to her. And for the first time in that manger in 4,000 years, a human being is beating with a heart and the blood that's moving through those ventricles is pure. Had the attention of every angel and every demon. A pure, spotless human being. Jesus, God in the flesh. Perfect in every way. And then when you kind of draw it out and you think about Jesus, you go, wow, 
sinless. That means at four years old, he was sinless. I have a four-year-old. She's beautiful, sugar plum, all that stuff. But she's not sinless. Like, not even close. Sinless at four. I mean, what was it like to have the, the child that was never saying, mine, mine? He was going, yours. <laughs> yours? I mean, wh- what was that like? <laughs> He's 12, 14, 16, sinless. I have a 12, 14, and a 16-year-old. They're awesome. They ain't sinless. What was, that, what was that man like? He never had to say, man, I blew that. I'm so sorry. He never had to apologize. Perfect Jesus. He grows up, becomes a man, and he lives sinlessly under the burden of every temptation and pressure that you and I and every person has ever faced. In fact, more intensely than anyone because Satan himself and every demon of hell is pointing at him, trying to get him to fall, and instead he overcomes. I don't know what the emblem of manhood is that you've most singularly attached yourself to, men. I don't know if it's an athlete, an entertainer, a, a, you know, a, a hard worker, a, I, I don't know, a, a lawyer, a doctor, or, or a who. I don't know who that emblem is for you, but I, in, in the extent that they look like Jesus, awesome. But in the extent, to the extent that they're deficient in their expression of Jesus, I would tell you right now, get your eyes on Jesus and let him be the, 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 the most important emblem of manhood to you. Let him change the chemistry of the way you think about being a man, the way you act, the way you speak, all of the outflow of your life. Let the man Christ Jesus Let him be the the singularly most important emblem of manhood in your entire life because he is not just a perfect human, he's the perfect man. Perfect man. That perfect mixture of tough and tender. Passionate and peaceful. That's Jesus. You You know what I'm saying? Rough and merciful. I mean, you see how he talks to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he is slapping them up and down. And then you see that same man, and he's in the dirt with the woman caught in adultery, drawing stuff that's shutting the mouths of all the Pharisees. I always wonder, what the heck did he write in the dirt that day? He's down in the dirt with the woman caught in adultery. He's raising the dead. He's restoring sight to the blind. He's cleansing the lepers. He's flipping over tables. He's passionate, fiery, and so meek and mild. I, you know, I think sometimes we are, we're so lame in our picture of Jesus 
that we think he's not an adequate emblem for us. You know, we just sort of think of him as this sort of, you know, milky-skinned, sweet lamb holder, you know. And, uh, and, and it, you know, he's like these, there's these incredibly effeminate pictures of Jesus. And, and I, I don't think the guy that was a carpenter was like, you know, Mr. Smooth Hands. I just don't think he was. I, I, I mean, you, you undoubtedly, some of you men in the room are, are guys that have jobs you work with your hands, and, and undoubtedly you've met men that, man, their hands are like leather gloves. Well, what was the first century carpenter guy like? I, I guarantee you he, he, he wasn't Mr. Milky Skin. I, I guarantee you, he, he had a little bit of ruggedness about him. Think about it. Fishermen thought it was cool to hang out with him. You been around any fishermen lately? You been, come on. Been around some sailors lately? They're, they're not like the most, you know, highest on etiquette. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They don't know how to set the table right. <laughs> fishermen, sailors... They, they were looking to Jesus, the carpenter. He, he, he was rugged. He had a strength about him. But he had that, that amazing mixture, that beautiful mixture of, of strength and meekness. And uh, as we stare at Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, as we stare at this one in his humanity, all God, all man, as we stare at him, he needs to be the singular emblem of manhood for us. And, and I was just thinking about this. My, my, my buddy, Alan Hood, I was with him the last few days in a conference in Colorado. He was talking about Jesus, who's all God, all man, talking about the incarnation. And, and he made this point. I just thought it was so, so important, so impressive. You know, Jesus comes as a baby, grows up, goes through everything. I mean, goes through puberty. I mean, goes through everything goes through the cross, dies, experiences all the the boundaries that humans experience, hunger, you know, fatigue, pain in the flesh, mourning, weeping, laughter, goes through the cross, dies, and is resurrected. And he said, you know, he made this point. He goes, when he got to the, to the right hand of the Father and sat down, we kind of think he said, you know, I'm so glad to be done with that, that humanity thing, you know. Like, it was so limiting, you know. I mean, I was just stuck in human flesh. And I, and I couldn't do, you know, stuff like, I, like I'm normally doing here. And, and now I've got the glory that I had with the Father from before time began. And it's so good. I'm just glad to take off that, that human dress. And I'm just glad to be God again. He goes, but that's not what happened. He didn't quit being a man when he was raised from the dead. God put himself inside of a human frame Jesus Christ is that man, lives as a human, dies as a human, is resurrected, and is a man forever. He's a man forever. 
Oh, I just... That's, that's our example. He's the one that we're to look to, men. He's the one that we're supposed to stare at and allow the nature of who he is to transform us, to change us, to penetrate us, to deal with us. So when I look at Jesus, I go, oh, man, I, I'm so grateful for the journey that he's taken me on, and I'm all oh, so convicted over the distance I have to go. Because not only was he sinless, he's the express image of the Father. It's what Hebrews 1 says right there in your notes. It says, he is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Not only was he sinless, he is the Father personified. Think about Isaiah. He says, a child is born unto us. His name is Wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. The irony is pretty amazing that the man who is the best example of what it means to be a father never never was a father in the flesh. (laughs) He's the everlasting Father. Thinking about my friend Alan's message this weekend, he said, you know, how, how funky must that have been for the scribe that was taking notes for Isaiah? He goes, a child is born. He goes, write this down, scribe. A child is born. His name's going to be Everlasting Father, Mighty God. And the scribe kind of looks at him like, what? Isaiah, we're a monotheistic culture. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, the, God is one, hero of Israel, God is one. This is a bad idea. There's not a child going to be born who's everlasting father. He goes, I don't know. I'm just seeing it. I'm getting it direct. Just write it. Yeah, God in the flesh. The mystery of godliness that God became a man. Jesus Christ, the express image of the father, the uncreated one from everlasting to everlasting who dwells in unapproachable light, who wraps himself in light as a garment, who if the human eye perceives him, looks at him in an unveiled way, it will, it will completely disintegrate us. Jesus Christ, the Father in the flesh. He is to be our emblem. He is to be our, 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 our standard. We're supposed to look right at him. And, and he was so much the embodiment of the Father. He was everything that the Father was. He said, if you, if, you, if you hear me, you've heard the Father. He goes, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I, what I hear the Father saying. And, and there it is at the end of his life. And John 14, Philip goes, okay, I, I know the stakes are getting high. I know we're getting right down to the end of this thing. Okay, okay, just show us the Father and we'll believe you. Jesus looks at Philip and goes, come on, Phil. You don't get it yet? If you've seen me, you've seen the everlasting Father. Jesus Christ is all that the Father is manifest in human form. He is our example. So here's what it boils down to, men. If we're going to be a man... You got to get lost in Jesus. If you're going to be a man, you have got to get lost in Jesus because he is the perfect example of manhood, the perfect expression of the Father. 
If you are distant from the nature and the knowledge of Jesus, you will be disconnected from what it means to be a man. Welcome to the men's meeting. And so it requires us as men to be preoccupied with the person of Christ, to be completely preoccupied with Jesus, to fill our thoughts with Jesus. I mean, just to have our minds set on him, to fill our hearts with who he is. It requires us, if we're going to grow into what it means to be a man, to let that one who is perfection as a man completely transform and transfigure us. And so this is, this is what it goes to. It's Roman numeral two. It's, it's the issue of being a man at the core. Being a man is ultimately about being Christ-like. Manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. Anybody ever heard of Edwin Lewis Cole? Let me just see your hands. Ed Cole? Me and Jeff. <laughs> Ed Cole, yeah, before there was uh, promise keepers, these big rallies, there were Ed Cole meetings. Ed Cole is like the father of the modern men's movement. If you've never read an Ed Cole book, you need to go on Amazon right now and get one. Because he is, he is the, the he, like I said, he's the father of the men's movement. Well, his main message was this. Manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. He had a revelation that if you're going to be a man, you have to be like Jesus. Otherwise, you're completely amiss in, in, in terms of who you're supposed to be. Manhood and masculinity are not the same. Manhood and maleness are not the same. Being a man is about being like Jesus. And so I remember sitting in those, those men's meetings with Ed Cole and doing our woof, 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 woof and all that stuff. But I remember coming out of there so challenged and so sharpened it would fit, we would fill up like uh, the Georgia World Congress Center, five, 7,000 men coming out of there so sharp and with such a desire to be like Jesus, to be a man like Jesus was. And so I started thinking about for us, how does this translate? Because we can talk about Jesus, we can talk about his miracles, we can talk about his, his teachings, we can talk about all, all his exploits, all this stuff, and, but, and we can walk away with nothing to put our hand on it. So I said, what is the single most defining characteristic of the man Christ Jesus? You know the answer. Love. The single most defining characteristic of Christ, of Jesus Christ, is love. And, and, and so this is what we have to look at. This one who, who had say, he said, greater love is no man than this. He laid down his life for his friend, John 15, 3. We have to look at who he is as a man of love and allow that to penetrate us. Now, let me just give you a thought. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm speaking out of my own personal sense of conviction right here. So just, I'll just share it with you. <laughs> You know, I was thinking about my life and, and, and the theater of the expression of, of my Christianity. Like, how and where do I get to express who I am as a lover of Jesus? And uh, I basically do two things in life. I, I've got, you know, two focuses. One is my family, 
and the other one is the house of prayer. That's about it. And, uh, and relationships in between, but primarily I'm responsible for seeing my wife become beautiful, radiant, and prepared for Jesus, seeing her fulfill the destiny that God has on her life, and seeing my children become, an, become abandoned lovers of God, radical disciples for Jesus. That's my first and primary concern in terms of what I do. The ministry is secondary to those covenants. Hey, hey. The ministry and my vocation are secondary to the covenants that I have. I have one covenant with Jesus, I have another covenant with my wife, and by extension, a covenant with my children. Those all supersede who I am as a vocational minister. They would supersede who I would be if I wasn't in the ministry. Those covenants supersede everything else. So my primary expression of my manhood that that shows Christ is to that group of five. And I thought, it, I thought it through. I thought, you know, I spend about 50, 55 hours a week doing IHOP. That leaves me with about 115 hours, give or take, with my family. It's two to one. The time that I spend with my family, and there's some of that's asleep. I'm asleep a third of the time I'm alive, but whatever. 115, 55-ish. My primary... Uh, theater for expressing who I am as a man, who I am as a Christian, is not who you see. It's who my family sees. And here's what I've come to grips with. And, 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 you know, I remember going to all these men's meetings and thinking, wow, they're just overstating the family thing. And I was just a single guy. I was like, you know, I just want to go radical for Jesus, you know. And they'd speak these things. They'd say, who you are at home is who you are. It's not who you are in the public. It's not your accolades and your business or in your ministry that, that makes who you are. Who you are at home, the expression of who you are in the theater of your family is the critical issue. And, and, and now that I'm in my mid-40s and I, I kind of have a little bit more uh, time under my belt, I go, you know what? They were exactly right. Two to one time that I spend with my family versus what I spend uh, you know, in the ministry or my vocation. And in the home, it's the primary theater by which I live out this Christianity that, that, I, that I ascribe to. It's the primary theater by which I walk out my manhood. And the, the, the single most important expression of my manhood is how much I'm like Jesus in the, the most important primary way in love is what I mean. And so it boils down to this, who I am in love toward my wife and my kids is the primary experience of who I am as a man. Men, in our homes, in our homes, we are to be the greatest expression of the heart of God and the love of God that our families will ever see. Come on. No, no, no. Come on. That's where we're supposed to walk this thing out. 
primarily. I don't care how happy, slappy, Christian ease you look in front of everybody else. I want to see glory on your wife. I want to see sharpness on your kids. Because anybody can fake it on Sunday morning or Sunday night. Wednesday night Bible study or house church or prayer meeting once a week. Anybody can fake it for a couple hours a week. But what I see on our kids, that can't be faked. You ever notice how three-year-olds, they just tell it like it is? You're ugly. (laughs) Babe, can't say that. Can't say that, babe. (laughs) My little four-year-old, there's no governor there. That man's big, daddy. I know, babies. I, I just don't say that, please, baby. And just say it. Daddy, that's ugly. Okay, I, don't, I won't wear it anymore, baby. They will just reflect what they hear, what they see. They'll become what you are to them. Men, I'm, I'm telling you, That theater of family is where our Christianity, it will be measured the most. I'm pretty certain my conversation with Jesus when I stand before him at the judgment seat will firstly involve who I am as a man in the home, who I was as a lover of God in my home, who I was as an expression of the love of God in my home, far before we ever talk about anything about the ministry. I I don't think I'm going to get there and he's going to go, hey, what'd you do with IHOP? He's going to go, let's talk about that foundational covenant you had with your wife. Let's talk about, let's just look at Ephesians 5. He'll just go, let's just look at this. Did you love her as I love the church? Did you give yourself for her? Did you lay yourself down for her like I did? He's going to talk to me on those points first, guys. I'm like, you know, if I'm still alive by the time we get down to the ministry, then we'll have a conversation about that. Because it's going to firstly be about those foundational covenants we have. And the theater of family is where we primarily walk these things out. And so we have to become people that are so filled, men. We've got to be so filled with love, so I mean, just completely overwhelmed with God's love towards us that we're flowing out with God's love towards everyone around us, primarily our families. That's where the rubber meets the road as it relates to being a man. Can I just get one amen? Just any, thank you. Spirit of heavy conviction is falling. I know it's hard to talk. I'm looking at it myself, and I'm going, oh. See, I can have thousands of followers on Twitter, but there's really only five followers that matter, the ones that share my roof. There's thousands out there on Twitter, the thousands that listen to our podcast. None of that even matters if the five under my roof aren't getting an expression of the heart of God, a real expression of the heart of God. So loving God 
and by extension, loving others, the way that Jesus loves the Father is the most central theme to manhood. The first commandment is still the greatest and the most important commandment. And it's the central one as it relates to you being a man. It's the central one. Let's just look at it again. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And I gave the four points because the other expression of the same passage It adds in strength. But let's just look at these, one through four. This is the way we're supposed to be a lover. You want to be a man, be a lover. I'm telling you, being a lover will make you a fighter. Be a lover first. Love with your heart, love with your mind, love with your soul, love with your strength. The heart is your passions and energies. It's what's going on on the inside. What are you passionate about? You know what? I've got to be more than passionate about anything else. I've got to be passionate about Jesus. Oh, man, if my kids come away and their example of Jesus and of a father to them is of a man that's passionate about something more than Jesus, I failed them. Where are your passions and energies? What is, what is it that's cooking on the inside of you? See, as men, we want, we want to, you know, recreate, and we want to conquer, and, and we want to hobby, and we, we want to express in wild outdoors. And, you know, we do all these things, and we will make an idol out of it, just about anything. Cars. Guns, mountain climbing, fish, deer heads. Oh, man, it's a seven-pointer. Oh, man, it's a seven-pointer. I got an eight-pointer. Oh, cut its head off, put it on the wall, worship it when you walk in. It's a little bizarre. Now, I'm not against deer hunting. Hey, man, shoot it. And eat the meat. It tastes good. I'm not against that. What I am against is idolatry in your passions. Sports. Oh, yeah. Ah, hallelujah. I'm a sports fan. I'm just speaking on my own convictions. Okay, can I just tell you a story? A couple of years ago, the Georgia Bulldogs, my team, they lost in the SEC championship on the last play of the game. Guys, I was in a depression for a week. I was hurting. That same year, the Falcons lost in the NFC championship on the last play of the game. And I was like, I was like dying. I'm like, I mean, I'm like teary-eyed. Oh, my team. We live vicariously through these men. We, we, we have this desire to be warriors on, on the inside. So we live vicariously through the thing that we can point to, you know, connect to the most. And the Lord convicted my heart. He said this to me. He said, when was the last time you wept over the lost? I'm weeping over the sports team. And I wasn't completely weeping, but I felt like it. But I'm we Football. I'm, I'm, I'm in a funk over that. And he said, 
son, you can't allow anything to have your affections more than I have them. Do you love him with your passions? Do you love him with the energy on the inside of you? It could be anything. It's amazing because we live in a generation of men now that, like, if you're my age or younger, you probably grew up playing video games. I know men that are completely passionate about video games. I mean, full-blown gamers. And if we put our passions, and you can put your passions into other things. There has to be expression. I get it. But if we put our passions into anything more than we put them into loving Jesus, we are completely disconnected from what it means to be a man. We've lost manhood because Christ is the perfect man and Jesus was a lover of God. Your passions, your, in your heart, your, your mind, your intellect, what's going on? What are you thinking about, men? What, what has the occupation of your brain? What's your brain power going to? I, I understand. If, 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 you know, if you have a, a heavy brain job where you have to think through stuff all the time, I get it. Trust me, I get it. I feel the tension of it here. I do ministry, but so much of my brain power is spent on organization and development and strategy and structure, and I just want to think about Jesus. But what preoccupies your mind? Love him with what you think about. Love him with your your mental capacity. Love him with the emotions of your soul. I'm just going to come after you guys a little bit. Not that I haven't already. But man, you know what? We go to the, the concert, the sports game, we, whatever. You, you know, pick it. We go to the place where the crowd is going nuts, and us men, we're in there. Yeah! We come to church, we're like... And, and we, we stuff our emotions when it comes to God. But when it's something silly, we're the most emotional people around. Come on! Take your shirt off, paint yourself blue. Yeah! At the sports game. I, I just like to see a guy one time just come to church, paint it up blue with a big J on his chest. Like, that'd just be... Come on. If you show up that way, we will not cast you out. If you do it once, <laughs> you do it more than once, we might have a problem. But think about the way we spend our emotions, gang. What are you spending your emotions on? What are you spending your physical strengths on? Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary to India. She said, God, I'm a penny in your hand. Spend me any way you want. For 50 years, I mean, she labored and, you know, rescued girls out of human trafficking and orphans and all this stuff. And just incredible legacy of ministry for Jesus. She spent her life, the strength of her life, for love for Jesus. And like the last 15 years of her life, she was like bedridden. I was just at this missions conference 
Do you know in the 1040 window where the, le the least evangelized peoples of the earth are, 98% of the least evangelized in the 1040 window, do you know what the ratio of men to women missionaries is in the 1040 window? I know you're bracing. You're like, oh, don't tell me. I'm going to tell you. Eight women to every one man. What is up with that? That's ridiculous. Eight women to one man giving their life in the hardest and darkest? Brothers, it should not be that way. It should not be that way. That our women are being spent in the strengths and the passions of their lives. While we're here, you know, in our comfort bubbles, in our man caves, our 60-inch flat screens, HD quality, something is really wrong. There's got to be a change in the, the virility of men right now. We've got to become more like Jesus. And the way it's got to happen is by getting so overwhelmed with the love of God that it possesses and grips and compels and controls the outgo of our lives. Amen. I'm, I'm preaching so much better than you are. Amen. It's okay. I won't take it personally. The legitimacy of love in your heart is the greatest indicator of Christ-likeness. It's the greatest indicator of your manhood. The love that's in you and going through you. It shows me what kind of a man you are. Roman numeral three. That phrase right there, act like men. I, just re I read 1 Corinthians 16 this week. I was just in, I was in prayer and just worshiping. I was just, that, just thinking about this, this verse and that phrase, act like a man. It just, started, it just started penetrating me, act like a man. I was like, what's Paul even talking about, act like a man? He's writing to a church where the women are going to read the, the, the they're going to hear the reading of the, the, the letter, the epistle, act like men. And I, I thought, well, no, he's speaking to the men with the women as a witness, calling them into manhood, and he's giving the specific details of what this thing looks like. Look at it in context. He says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. And he gives the one, two, three, four of what it means to be a man. What it means to be a man. First thing, he says, be on the alert. You, you know the verses where it says, be watchful. These are the same Greek words, being watchful. What's it talking about? It's talking about living a life of prayer. Being alert in the place of prayer. Having your ear to the chest of Jesus. Hearing his heartbeat and praying back to him what's on his heart. Let me tell you something. If you're a single girl in here and, and, and you're uh, considering a guy, and if that dude is not a man of prayer, just look somewhere else. Because the last thing you want to be in your home is the, the woman prayer warrior while your husband's out there dull as a drumstick. 
get a guy that will intercede and that will go to war with you for your children. Because let me tell you something, when you have kids, there is no free ticket for any child, and they're more and more contested by the kingdom of darkness in this generation, maybe than any other. Because God saw, he saw to it that your children would be born in a generation that will see the coming of the Lord or is right at it. They're going to need to be warred for in the place of intercession so that Christ can be formed in them. And listen to me, lady. You don't want to have to do that battle alone. You want a man that will stand in that place, watchful in prayer, praying your children in the kingdom of God. That's what you want. You want to be a man? Lead your family in prayer. Listen, I'm not talking about 30 seconds over the meal. Like, that's good. I'm not talking about a little now I lay me before you go to bed. I'm talking about being a man that gets in the place of prayer that he has. If you have to rise early, then you do it. If you have to stay up late, then you do it. But you get in the place of prayer to hear the heart of God and to cry out for the will of God to be made manifest in your family and in your city. What would it look like if we had a revival of men really praying? I mean, alive in love and interceding with the heartbeat of God, burning in the place of prayer. Men who are alert and watchful. What would that look like? We would have instant revival, guys. The the church would go into revival. What if this prayer room was filled with men at the 6 a.m. set before they went to work? Guys, we only get one life. Got to spend it somehow. Oh, be on the alert. And he says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Not being tossed around by doctrines. Not being tossed around by... You know, the winds that are moving through the society, like I talked about last week, the anchoring to the spirit of truth. You know, you know what I'm finding right now? Okay, I'm, I'm just going to try to get, I'm trying to get off this a little, getting perturbed here. But you know what I'm finding right now? Men don't read the Bible anymore. They might, you know, the, the wife might read the Bible, but they don't read the word. And I'll go, I'll go, so what you got to do, bro, is you really got to anchor to the, to, to the scriptures. And I go, you know, like I'm just talking about, you know, discipling different men. And so so are, are you in the word? Well, I don't really like reading. I like movies. Well, well that's fine. I like movies too. <laughs> but movies won't give you a rod of light on the inside of your soul when deception comes and it tries to wistfully allure you away. Your movie lines, quoting the movie line, isn't going to cause the devil to flee. You're going to have to get the word on the inside of you because it says stand firm in the faith. It's assuming you've got an anchor of the scripture on the inside. You got, you got to get rooted in the word and have a foundation of truth so you have something to stand on. Watchful and alert in the place of prayer, standing firm on the truth. 
Act like a man. Oh, I love this one. Because the way I'm reading Paul, see, I, I, I see how the linguists have done the translation there. In the New King James, it says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, comma, act like a man, comma, be strong, period. Verse 14, let all that you do be done in love, period. But the way that I see it is this. He goes, be on the alert, stay, stay watchful in the place of prayer. He goes, stand firm in the faith, anchored to truth, and then he goes, act like a man. And the way I would see it is this, hyphened. Be strong by doing all that you do in love. See, this is the strength that man, men have to have. The choice to live as a lover first. The choice to be one who's given to the love of God, who's filled with the revelation of God's affections so that it transforms you into the image of Christ. It conforms you to his image. Don't be uh, conformed to this world. Be conformed, transformed, conformed to Christ. That, that conformity, that transformation, that conformity to Christ is all about, it, the, 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 the language in the Greek there is about being pressed into a mold. That, that's what we have to undergo. It takes strength to get pressed into the mold. Here's why. Remember when you played with Plato? See, I still do because I have a four-year-old. You take the Play-Doh and you put it into the little mold, and you know what happens? A bunch of the Play-Doh hangs out the edges. That stuff you have to pull off and get rid of so that the Play-Doh looks like the mold. Conform to the image of Christ means this. Some of you is going to die. It's Christianity, beloved. It's Christianity. I don't come to the cross, walk away the same guy with a salvation ticket. I come to the cross and exchange me in the death of that place for the life of Jesus. I die, he lives. The strength that he's talking about is the strength that allows love to rupture you. To, to undo you, to reduce you. And I thought about it, what? He goes, let all you do be done in love. Let all you do be done in love. I go, well, what's the father love like? The father gives. He gives. God so loved that he gave. You know what a father in the family does? He gives. He gives love. He gives his heart. He gives his blessing. He gives instruction. He gives correction. He gives his time. He gives his attention. There's a big thing about attention deficit disorder. I think they said that exactly right. Attention deficit disorder, a lot of that is because the children are in a deficit of attention from their dads. Father, you want to love like the Father? Give. Just give. You know, you know what I'm finding with teenagers? I have to give more now than I had to give before. See, when they're, when they're about zero to ten, you know what they need? They need my physical presence. 
They, they need me to help them get fed, you know, get dressed. All the, all the things about, we're going to brush the teeth. We're going to brush the teeth. Here we go. They need the physical presence. But you know what from 10 to 20 they need? The emotional presence. They need me present. They need my heart. They need my input. They, they need my counsel. They need my instruction. And you know what I find out? Somehow between about 11 and I think it ends around 21, it takes, I think studies have shown, it takes you telling them 150,000 times what to do before they know to do it. (laughs) Something like that. You have to continue to give. And don't get mad about it. And don't think just because they're grown, you just let them go. Well, they're grown now. They're not grown. Their body's grown, but their heart is still developing. They need you. They need you, Dad. They need you to speak into them. They need you to show them the way. They need you to show love. They need you to give like a father. The father loves and he gives. Be a father and love and give. Act like a man. Be strong. It takes strength to do this. Strong in the Lord and the power of his might because we can't do this in our own strength. We've got to have grace to make this happen. And, And I thought, you know, the father gives, but you know what the son does? He lays himself down. He lays himself down. Pour yourself out for your kids. Pour yourself out for your wife. What if every man in our community decided the greatest function of his strength should be to seeing his wife fulfill her destiny in God? My greatest goal and function in life isn't to be the the greatest minister that's ever seen. It's to be the one that sees my wife fulfill who she's to be. That's my calling, firstly, above my ministry and my vocation. My vocation has to serve that covenant. Do you understand? Loving like Jesus means I lay myself down to see to it that my family enters into the dream of God for them. That takes courage. That takes strength. Now listen. Listen. So you can swallow the pill. I'm telling you, I'm not speaking from the place of, I've attained this, and all of you need to do what I'm doing. I'm speaking from the place of, I'm a needy guy, and I need Jesus to to take this conviction and this desire inside of me and to work it together in a life lived out. But but this is it. Manhood and Christ-likeness. Falling in love with God, being filled and preoccupied with Jesus and and letting that flow out and direct our lives into something that's beautiful, something that matters. Because for me, it doesn't matter if 50 million people are impacted by my ministry. What I really care about is the five under my roof. Because that's the primary theater for me to walk out who God's made me as a man. Am I making sense? Good. All right, I'm done. Amen.
Let's stand. I'll just read number four under C just for fun. Fearful men who are unwilling to take their place as influencers in the culture are a dime a dozen. We don't need any more fearful men. See, I completely skipped this point in the outline, but let me just say it real quick. Love casts out fear. Men operate in fear because they don't know love. Do you know what the first sin that's identified as getting cast into the lake of fire is in Revelation 21? Cowardice. Fearful. Unaware of love. And I'm, I'm just so aware that we've got men that are just so afraid to risk, to pour themselves out, to give, because they don't know love. Love anchors the heart in a way that nothing else does, and it will cause you to be extravagant, to risk. We don't need any more fearful men. We need men so alive in love that fear has no hold on them. Amen.